Welcome to the Net Group Investments podcast channel, a collection of conversations where we share a variety of views and insights that investors care about. From market updates and investment fundamentals to investor behavior and even the latest book recommendations, this is a space to stay informed and interested in your financial world. Welcome to another Net Group Investments podcast insights. Today's discussion is very much a focus on fixed income yields. I've got in studio with us today Philip Liebenberg, who runs our flexible income fund from AVAX Investment Managers. And I thought today's conversation could really just kind of give our investors a bit of insight into the yield of this fund, how is it constructed, kind of just looking at some of the other sources of return in the fund. And then we can finish off on the outlook for yields on the fund and give kind of insight into Philip's views on the markets. Philip, thanks for joining us today. I guess the first question that we'd like to kind of talk about is, you know, when you look at the yield, I think the yield's around 7.5%. How would you typically calculate that or break down that in the fund? Hi, Doug. Um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity and uh, share a few, a few insights and thoughts. Uh, just on the yield of the fund, maybe uh, slightly better news, the yield is now closer to 8% on, on, on the fund, so quite a nice yield. And we can go into the components and maybe discuss a bit how we, how we well, not just calculate, but the different, you know, exposures to, to achieve that. So if you look at it, it's an income fund, so it's mainly, we firstly, we follow a diversified approach where we try and access as many income-generating assets um, in the fund. And maybe to take a step back, you know, not too long ago, maybe the yield was closer to 6%. We've had a lot of tightening globally on with, with the central banks, local bond yields. You know, we know that um, rates are going up locally on offshore, and that's obviously pushed up the yield. So if you look at the yield of roughly 8%, um, like I said, we've got a diversified approach. That'll include things like floating rate notes. Uh, what's fantastic about these floating rate notes is that they will reset with the as rates go higher by the the central bank. Currently, we earn a, an, a pickup of probably about one and a half percent over kind of typical money market rates on that component. Now, if you want to get technical, if you look at three month JIBA, three month JIBA historically is not too far off what a typical money market fund will give you. And in our floating rate component, we can give you an additional one and a half percent. So at the moment, that yield is, you know, just on that component, about seven and a half percent. I think what's fascinating about the floating rate component is that you don't take on duration risk because it will reset every um, three months. So that's quite, you know, I think quite a nice um, characteristic for an income fund. Uh, so that's about 7.5%. We've just got about between 30 and 35% in that. If we then move on to some of the slightly more riskier components in the fund, that will include um, local bonds. And our 10-year bond yield is at the moment is about you know 10.5%. Our local bond yields have gone slightly backwards, and that's on the back of you know global rates you know pushing higher. You know, US treasuries are now closer to you know three and a half and you know, I won't be surprised if we, we approach four percent in the in the in the shorter term. So we do think, from a fiscal point of view, that uh, we're probably on the margin cheap on our um, local bonds. Nice ten and a half percent yield. We obviously we don't buy the whole yield curve. We prefer the belly of the curve. Maybe anything between maybe five years up to ten years, and that yield is in the ballpark at about ten percent. So that's quite a nice yield. The issue there is. 
you do take on a bit of duration risk on, on, on that. So typically, we at the moment have about just over 20% in nominal bonds. Duration of those bonds would typically be about you know five to five to six years. So that's the one component. Then if we move on to maybe inflation-linked bonds, fantastic asset class where you are protected against unexpected inflation. That's worked very well for us. I think our performance has been you know, fairly robust the last year too, and that was aided by having a decent exposure to inflation-linked bonds. And how they work, they would give you, you know, the three-month lagging inflation plus a real yield. At the moment, the real yield on that component is about 2 2.5%, then plus inflation. So historically, backward-looking, unfortunately, but you can say we've earned you know, a comfortable you know, 7%, 8% on that. We're probably neutral on inflation in bonds. We do think that it's an asset class that's done fairly well, and we prefer nominal bonds over inflation in bonds. But it talks to our diversification you know, argument. So we like the idea that if we get further pressures on local and global inflation, that those, an asset class like that will assist in, in giving you that benefit. Um, so that's just some of the three main components of the local assets. If we move on to, I can maybe touch on the offshore assets, and it's going to be a long discussion if we go through all of it, but also fascinating if you look at, because of our diversified approach, we do invest in offshore bonds and money market instruments. But here, just to make investors aware, we do differentiate between having offshore assets and currency exposure. And these are two different decisions. And as a case in point, at this point in time, our offshore component, meaning dollar-type assets, are more than 20% of the fund. However, our currency exposure is about uh, 4 to 5%. So you can separate the two. I think the beauty with having over 20% offshore is that firstly you get good diversification. So we do have exposure to TIPS, which are um, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. That's the US equivalent of an inflation bond. So we've got a bit of exposure to that. And then normal treasuries, which we've been buying of late, getting really good yields of, you know, anything between from 3 up to 4%. But... Then also we do have some of our local entities and companies that we're very comfortable with from a credit point of view that issue offshore debt. This gives us an avenue to access some of that offshore debt at quite attractive yields. If you then hedge some of those dollar yields back to local yield via swaps or, or you know currency futures, gets a bit technical, but that's what we do. You get a yield that actually is better than what you can um, achieve um, locally. So there is a bit, I'm not going to call it arbitrage, but having access to offshore assets can increase the yield of the fund. So that's one of the things we you know, obviously actively do. And then the last component, like I said, we do have about 4 5% in currency dollar exposure, which has been a nice buffer to the fund in, these volatile, in this volatile environment. The dollar has been exceptionally strong because of lots of issues. And maybe later on we can touch on a, on a little bit of that. So that's just ballpark, you know, some of the yields. Maybe last thing, and then you can, you know, we can stop and you can ask me a bit more uh, detailed questions on maybe some of the components. But maybe the, the last point would be, so if you look at our offshore bond components, so we've got about 10% in offshore bonds. If we were to rewind, let's say about a year, year and a half ago, the yield on that component was, you know, probably around about 3%. At the moment, our yield on our offshore bond component is closer to 6% in dollars. Not a lot of duration and good 
counterparty, good credit quality in, in that, that component. So it's been a, a big step change in just, you know, what's available offshore. And at long last, you can actually construct a offshore fixed income component that gives you an attractive yield. Mm, I think that's important. I mean, yeah, I mean, looking at that fund, I mean, an 8% plus yield on this fund does seem quite attractive. And, you know, I guess that has driv- been driven by broadly a big reset in US rates in particular, which I guess has driven a lot of rates higher around the world as well. When you kind of looking at the future with a big fixed income crystal ball, what are your expectations for some of the Saab moves? And I guess to a large extent that could depend on what happens next week Thursday with the Fed. Yeah, well, that's, you know, we can we can sit here for another hour and just talk about that. It's been fascinating the last uh, couple of months you know, if you look at global inflation, obviously pressures are on central banks to, to, to hike rates and to be more ag- aggressive than anticipated. We just had an inflation number from the US on, you know, a couple of days ago, which again surprised to the upside. And the concern here on, on that number specifically was that core inflation was quite a bit higher than expected. So we can understand that if you look at the energy and fuel components, that that fuels inflation. But the concern for central banks, and especially then in the US, is that, you know, if you look at your core inflation, the components making up that, and that'll include, you know, shelter, services and goods, are becoming more entrenched and surprising to the upside. So if you look at, I think it was the services component, you know, six out of 10 of those components surprised to the upside. So there's definitely inflationary pressures building, which will just mean a more hawkish Fed, which will tighten more. That obviously has got a knock-on effect for us where we cannot lag. You know, our inflation, we expect to, you know, hopefully peak not far beyond, you know, 8% in the next couple of months. But that does mean that I think on the Fed side, we're expecting, you know, a 75 bips rate increases definitely penciled in. The question now becomes, it was, you know, 50 or 75. Now it's yeah, 75 or 100 in the next, next meeting. Their terminal rate has also moved, you know, I can't say cons- consensus was probably somewhere in the range of, you know, three and a half to maybe four. Now the US terminal right now suddenly has moved to three point, you know, seven to maybe, you know, four point three. So the consensus is now closer to four just because of these pressures. That on our side means that, you know, we definitely have seventy five um the points increase penciled in. And I think if you look at the frau market or the expectation for rate increases, that's gone up. But we have seen historically that the, our forward rate market is not a good predictor of where you know our local rates will will, will move to. I think we still see you know ballpark rates increasing to about seven, maybe seven and a half. We we don't think we will move um, you know anything beyond that on the on the local side. But all of this, you know, I think the interesting thing, if you look at the the macro environment, and and that's been our view and stance the last couple of months. We actually don't know how all of this is going to pan out. And we've seen some of the the best economists and some of the best central banks in the world making mistakes and not getting it right. So I think for us, we are using opportunities to buy what we perceive as cheap assets, given the volatility. But I think it's from a, a conservative point of departure. That's how we. So you know, across all our funds, we at the moment like to say conservatively diversified. That's that's our stance at the moment. And if you do see increases in interest rates locally, how will that impact the fund? 
Well, I think as mentioned, so we've got a you know fairly healthy floating rate component. So that'll that, that's a natural beneficiary where that'll reset um, higher in the fund without any volatility. Bond yields are slightly more tricky because if you look at your slightly longer dated bonds, uh, when central banks um, hike rates, that should you know um, rein in inflation expectations, and that should in theory be good for you know longer dated bonds. So you should see you know, curves flatten. Um, but at the moment, I think even a risk-off environment, a lot of times you'll see just a big parallel move in yield curves and flattening after that. So for us, I think it's being on the lookout for when you get these big sell-offs to add to bonds. You know, we've had opportunities in adding, you know, our 10-year bonds above 11%. So we are a bit more tactical, but it is giving us opportunities to add into into this volatile environment. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. That's uh, been a great conversation. Certainly the outlook for the fund is quite positive from a yield perspective. I guess there might be a little bit of volatility and certainly the fund's well positioned, you know, if we do enter into a higher rate environment and, and investors should over time benefit from those higher rates. Thanks everyone for listening. We do hope that you have enjoyed this conversation and if you do need more information about the fund or about uh, any of the points raised, we'd be more than happy to deal with them. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Net Group Collective Investments is an authorised Collective Investments Scheme Manager in terms of the Collective Investments Schemes Control Act. Net Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit netgroupinvestments.co.za. Net Group Investments. See money differently.